From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So we're continuing today. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at verses uh, 27 to 31, and then you can, you know, if you have a physical Bible, you can turn over to Matthew 16 as well. If you're on a on your phone or a device, you can just look up Matthew 16 as well. So I'll read Matthew or Mark 14 for us, starting at verse 27. It says this, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself would disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. In Matthew chapter 16, just another perspective of what Jesus said regarding Peter. Verse 18, he said this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So today in our passage, we're going to actually look at a few different things. Uh, we're going to talk about potential. We're going to talk about identity. We're also going to talk about marriage, and we're going to talk about difficulties. A lot of different little nuggets of truth in here. Um, if you read scripture prayerfully, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you, things will, will illuminate. He'll, he'll reveal things to you. Things will jump off the page. And what we're doing today is as we look at the, the section of Mark is, is we're just asking the Holy Spirit, what's he, what's he saying to us today and what he wants to speak to us? Would you bow your heads with me as we just open ourselves up to what God wants to say? Holy Spirit of God, we just thank you for our time together this morning. We pray that as we look in the passage of Mark and we look at this section of Scripture, would you speak to us, Lord, in the name of Jesus? I believe, God, you've been with me as I've prepared this, and I just pray that in the same manner that you would speak to every heart and every person here today. Lord, and as we look through other scriptures, just bring your scriptures to life, Lord. We believe that your word is the living word of God. And so we believe, God, that you speak clearly to us through it. And so I pray that not only today, but even this week leading up to Easter, God, as we look throughout the scriptures, bring to life the scriptures once again and speak the things you wanna speak, God. I pray that our hearts will be open today to receive from you as we look at your truth and look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So these guys, the disciples, have been journeying with Jesus for about three years now. If you know any of the story of, of the disciples, they've been walking together, they've been eating together, they've been doing life together. He sent them on ministry together. Jesus is the rabbi, he's their teacher. They are apprenticing under him. That's really what a disciple means, apprentice. They are learning from him. And, and they're coming to this spot in the kind of final weeks before, or final days before Jesus' death. And, and Jesus says this, this to them. He turns to them, he says, you're all going to fall away. Let's just sound very comforting of Jesus to say to these disciples that have been with him for the last three years. You're all going to fall away. He knows that his hour is coming for his arrest and crucifixion. Um, and he says that you will all scatter. You're all going to leave me. Now, when I, when I read this, I started thinking like, they're sitting around having a meal together. Is Jesus looking them in the eye? 
Is he looking at them and saying, you are gonna fall away, and you are gonna fall away, and you are gonna fall away. Like, he doesn't say anything really encouraging in this moment. He, he doesn't come with the most uplifting words. He doesn't say to them, like, keep going. You know, an hour's coming, it's gonna be difficult, but I believe in you, you can do it, hold on. He's not the spin, you know, instructor in the spin class, you know, when they're, they're on the bike and they're like, push, push harder, you can make it, you can do it. That is not what Jesus is doing here. He's not giving them self-help, full motivation. Um, he's, he's just, he's being direct. He's being truthful. And here's what we need to understand about Jesus is he can handle our shortcomings, He can handle and deal with our doubts. We don't need to put on a facade for God. God knows what you're thinking before you think it. He knows what you feel before you feel it. We don't need to fake it before him. And so he can look clearly at the disciples and say, you will all fall away. See, the problem with um, uh, what what I'll call the prosperity gospel, you may have heard it, is this artificial pretense that we have to have it all together and that when we have it all together, we're in the place we're supposed to be. But Jesus knows our struggle. He knows that we're fallen. He knows that we're broken. He knows that we're sinful. He knows that we need grace. He knows that we wrestle with doubts. So in a way, as Jesus looks to these guys who have been journeying with him for three years, when he says this, it's a statement of love saying, I know you. I know you. I know what's inside of you. Now, Peter is not having it. He hears these words, he's shocked, he's dejected, and he says, no way. Even if everybody else does, even if they all fall away, I'm not gonna fall away. I'm in this, I'm not like the rest, I've got this. And he says it with such certainty, like he has something to do about it. And Jesus looks him square in the eyes and says, buddy, today, like this very night, in short hours, you're gonna disown me three times. I wanna focus on Peter today. I wanna focus on Peter in this text because this is largely about Peter. Uh, Peter was a a middle-class businessman. We tend to think of the disciples as these poor, impoverished, stoic kind of uh, spiritual people, but Peter was a fisherman and that culture meant that he was a businessman. Uh, When Peter, or when Jesus called Peter, it says that him and his brother left their nets. They dropped their nets. They dropped the equipment they had. They had boats. And in that culture, that meant that they had wealth. Uh, The middle class, uh, there wasn't really one. Most people lived in abject poverty. Only one to 2% lived in wealth. So likely, Peter had money. Not only did did he have wealth, uh, personality-wise, Peter was loud. He was He was the guy that you saw before or you heard before you saw him. He was a big personality, larger than life. He's the one out of the disciples that would speak up before the rest. Uh, In school, I'm guessing he was the the kid that was the jokester or the class clown. He he was the quasi-leader of the group. And when Jesus finds him, he finds Peter and his brother Andrew fishing when he calls them to follow after him. Now, at that time... Jesus hadn't been gathering the crowds, right? People weren't flocking to see Jesus. He was just beginning his ministry. He wasn't cool and trendy yet. Um, he was just a rabbi. Now, a rabbi in that culture meant that you had, you had meaning, you had authority to a Jewish kid, to a Jewish man. And so when Jesus called Peter to follow him, it was like, it was essentially the rabbi was saying, Jesus was saying, you can be like me, a rabbi. Now, for a Jewish kid, Uh, A Jewish boy would have been studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and the Old Testament all throughout their young age with the hope that one day they could become like a rabbi, and they could become a rabbi's disciple. 
Now, most Jewish men that weren't disciples by the time they were probably, you know, 16 years old meant that they didn't make the cut. They, they, they weren't good enough. They, they, they didn't have what it takes. Now, most of Jesus' disciples, they weren't disciples of other rabbis. So it meant that they didn't make the team. And I was reflecting on that. I remember as a young kid, I was involved in a lot of different sports. And I remember the anxious feeling of when, you know, tryouts would happen and they'd post the, the, the roster, you know, of, of what of what the team was gonna be comprised of. I actually remember it was grade six and it was volleyball. I tried so hard to make the team. I remember like, like pushing my hardest for the volleyball tryouts. And I, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I, I, was, I remember running across the schoolyard to where they had posted. I remember vividly like the, the school wall and there was like kind of like a corridor where the doors were and it was posted right on the door, the, the team, and I didn't make the team. And I was absolutely devastated. And maybe you've, maybe you've felt like that in your life. You felt like that you, you've tried hard, but you don't measure up. That you work really hard and you just don't have what it takes. Maybe you, your vocation right now, you're doing what you're doing because you couldn't cut it in your dream. Maybe you're listening and somewhere deep down inside, you just feel like you don't have what it takes. Well, Jesus' disciples were those guys. But when Jesus comes along as a rabbi in that culture and says, come follow me, what he's essentially saying to them is he's saying, I see what's in you. I see what you, what, what you could be. I see what I can make you into. See, Jesus sees in us what others don't see. And Jesus sees in you what you don't see. Because Jesus sees in you the things that he created you to be. He sees how he's designed you, how he's made you. He sees the mix of your talents and your gifts and your abilities. He sees the makeup of your design. He knows what's in you, which means that in and through Jesus, you can find the truest realization of your potential. In Jesus, you can find the truest realization of all that you were created to be because in and through him, you step into what the creator designed you to be. Not what you wanna be, not what you hope to be, not what you think you could be, but what God, the, the, the author of life, fashioned you to be before the foundation of the world was laid. We function at our best when we function how the designer designed us. So Jesus sees his dis disciples and he knows what they're designed for. They didn't make the cut, but he knew what they were made for and so he calls them, follow me, become like me. Now this wasn't easy. This wasn't an easy thing to do. The call to follow Jesus, like all of us, it's costly. Peter had to give up something. Now for Peter, like many before him, Peter gave up his livelihood. He was a fisherman. It was his career, it was job. If he was gonna pursue the dream that Jesus had for him, it meant that he had to quit fishing, which was who he was. So in a sense, Peter was not just given up a job, he was given up a part of his identity. A lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we find identity in our work. Peter was a fisherman, it was, it was his livelihood, it was what he did, his, his family and a business had made a name for themselves, it's what he knew, so to let go of that likely wasn't an easy thing to do. Think about when you first meet someone you haven't, you haven't talked to or you haven't met, a stranger, what's a, one of the first questions you ask, what do you do? And almost always we equate that to or attach that to vocation. Right? what we do for a living. I don't know of anyone that's ever answered that question any other way. Like someone comes to you and says, what do you do? And you're like, well, I do a lot of things. I wake up, I eat food, right? I play a mean jazz flute. I don't even know if jazz flute is an instrument. Is it an instrument? Anybody know? 
It is, it is, yes, <laughs> it is, right? We attach, um, we, attach, we attach it to vocation. And fishermen for Jesus, or for, for, for Peter, was his identity. It was who he was. So I wonder if behind the call to follow him, it wasn't so much just, hey, I believe that you can, you can do what I do, but it's, but it's saying, I want you to let go of the thing that you think makes you you. That you are no longer going to be Peter the fisherman, but you're gonna be Peter the follower of Jesus. See, God will take away the things that give you identity if the things that give you identity are not him. The mother who makes her, her kids her identity, the man who says, I will not be poor like my family was, so that he puts everything in success make a name for himself, the young person that's driven by the words of others, the girl who finds wholeness and likes and dislikes on social media. We attach identity to things. Peter left an identity to follow Jesus because I believe that he found something greater in Jesus. So God, again, he'll, he'll tug at those things that we attach identity to. And identity is those things that, that we believe hold value and weight and a sense of fulfillment, that we find security and meaning in them. So can I just challenge you, open your heart up to Jesus and learn that his way will give you a greater sense of fulfillment, that his way of life will give you a greater sense of identity and purpose and meaning than ever before. And when you attach your identity to Jesus, you're no longer Peter the fisherman, but you're Peter the son of the most high God. You know, and what, and what we do when that happens is when, when my world doesn't collapse when the economy collapses because my identity isn't attached to the common economy. My world doesn't collapse when my health fades because my identity isn't wrapped up in my health. My world doesn't collapse when I can't achieve the things that I set out to achieve because my identity isn't in those things. Now, all of us wrestle with this, but a big cue that we've misplaced our identity and meaning is when something hits you, how hard does it hit you? Now, we're human, and we, you know, we all feel the brunt of life and circumstances. But listen, I believe this, that the more things that hit you, the more you can, you can realize this. You've placed, misplaced your identity, and the more you realize this, the more you learn and can step into Jesus, which in turn leads you to find the truest realization of your potential. So Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he doesn't see what we see. He sees what he made us to be and that is completely satisfied and fulfilled in him. That's why Jesus can say, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my way is light, right? He's, he can say that because he knows that his way of life, his yoke, his teaching, who he is, is, is what we truly need. And so he's saying, come to me, all you who have been chasing after a way of life that, that doesn't satisfy, after an identity that doesn't appease, come to me and you will find rest because that's where we're supposed to be. So Peter left his livelihood. He left his vocation to follow after Jesus. Now, a little bit more to his story. Peter was a married man. We don't talk about that much, but we know that in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it tells us that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law who was in bed with a fever. You know, in order to have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. I got one of those. I didn't have one of those before I married Jody. First uh, Corinthians as well, Paul alludes to Peter's wife. He says this in chapter nine, verse five and six. Paul says, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Cephas, which is American name for, for Peter. 
He says, or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? So Peter was married, and it appears through what Paul is saying that, that she went along with them, that she worked and traveled along with them. And even more so is that she supported their livelihood, that Peter was able to minister because of her support, not in a subordinate way, but in a partnership way. See, marriage is a journey that's built on partnership and togetherness. And and we forget that sometimes. We often get into this mode of thinking that it's me and they're just along for the ride. But marriage is it's a journey together. Marriage isn't just about having a roommate or sharing household bills, but it's about doing life in partnership. And Peter and his wife did life in ministry together. But Peter's wife is unnamed and unknown. We, we don't know anything about her. We hear of, uh, of often other couples Ananias and Sapphira, Priscilla and Aquila, but here's this powerhouse couple and we don't know much about her. We have these two in partnership doing ministry. She's supporting the ministry and we don't even know her name. And I wonder, is she okay with that? Or was she okay with that? Maybe you're here and you feel like that. You feel like you're always someone's something. You're you're so-and-so's wife or you're so-and-so's spouse or you're so-and-so's son or you're so-and-so's daughter. You feel like nobody knows you. Well, let me tell you today. I felt this in my spirit as I was praying this. Somebody knows your name, and that somebody is the author of life. He knows you, and he knows you intimately. I believe that God honored Peter's wife, the silent partner who behind the scenes supported the mission of God. So God holds marriage in such high regard, and we see that throughout the scripture. In scripture, you never see God promoting common law relationships or any other form of relationship, but marriage is one that he holds in high regard, the one flesh union between a man and a woman. It's a reflection of God's love and commitment to the church. He designed marriage as a way for for Adam and Eve originally to come together to rule over and fill the earth. Marriage was designed to build together. It's life and partnership. So let's bring this all back to Peter's call as he's in the net, fit out, out fishing with his nets and his brother and Jesus comes walking along and says, come follow me. That's not just a call to Peter, that's a call to the marriage relationship. Now she may have said, uh, you could do it, I don't wanna do it, I'm not in this, but at some point she got on board. She went along with the mission. Paul gives us that insight that she was all in. Now according to church history, Peter and his wife were martyred on the same day for their faith. And the story goes that when they were executed, she was executed first. And as she was being led away to be killed, uh, it said that Peter called out to her encouragingly and comfortingly by name saying this, remember the Lord. His last words to his wife are remember the Lord. It's, you know, I wonder what I would say or what we would say. You know, your, your spouse is being dragged away to be killed for their faith. What do you say? So it's obvious that in this relationship, that, that Christ is the center and there's a sense of identity, there's a sense of fulfillment, there's a sense of, of, of purpose in that because that brings comfort to her. This powerhouse couple believed in Jesus together on mission for God together. There's, there is a stability in marriage when Jesus becomes the center of all that you do. I know for us that our relationship, Jody and I, is that it's more often the healthiest when when we are both in the right place with Jesus. So Jesus was enough for them. Now what does that look like for those of us that are married to maybe someone who is not a believer? I wanna speak to this as well, is you still have to put Jesus first. 
And as you put Jesus first, you become the partner, maybe even the silent partner, to your unbelieving spouse, showing them grace and love and compassion that you wouldn't show if Jesus wasn't first in your life. So let's take that all back to what we know about Peter and bring it back to the story in in Mark chapter 14. I'm gonna invite uh, Matt to come on up. So here's Peter and these disciples who have made these sacrifices to follow after Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and says, you will all fall away. What does Peter say? No way. I, I will not, even if everyone does. And you have to think, he's left everything that he thinks. Me, my, my spouse and I, we've left our, our livelihood our, to, to do this. This is what we're doing. We're in this. He's dedicated, he's all in, but he doesn't know what's coming. See, it's really easy to follow Christ. It's really easy to walk in a relationship with God when life is easy. But when your faith demands more of you, when life or death are in the mix, when the challenges come, what is your faith? Challenges and difficulties, they test our faith. They put our faith through the crucible to see what it's really made up of. Think of Abraham who who was given his son Isaac as a promise by God, was called by God to sacrifice his only son. It's a challenge of faith. Do you trust in me to provide, to help in those moments? See, faith isn't, isn't the absence of difficulty. Often we think that if, and sometimes that's the preaching of prosperity, is that if you have Jesus, your life will be great. And there is a sense of fulfillment, but it doesn't mean circumstances will just work themselves out all the time. In fact, the Bible says, consider it a pure joy when you face trials and tribulations of all kind. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then beyond that, he says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, faith is the substance of what we hold on to when we have nothing left. When the economy collapses and our health fades and you know, we, we can't achieve the things we set out to achieve and everything around us seems to be crumbling, what do we have left? We have an identity that is wrapped up in our savior and not in other things. In fact, if you don't really know, I don't think you really know what faith is made up of until you go through extremely difficult circumstances because it shows you what your faith is. COVID, right? This, this last year of life has shown a, a lot of people what their faith is. So if we flip over to uh, Luke's gospel, this story in Luke, Luke chapter 22, Luke's account of the story, Jesus said this. He says, Peter, Satan has asked, asked to sift you all like wheat. So Satan, the, the, the fallen angel, the enemy of God, the enemy of our soul, went before God, went before Christ and said, let me put them to the test. Let me show you that, that, that when I push them and I squeeze them, there's gonna be nothing left of their faith. But Jesus continues, he says this to Peter. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Now I noticed that he didn't say, I will protect you and I will stop him. He doesn't say that. He says, I've prayed that your faith will not fail because Jesus knows that faith is refined through fire. Difficulties and circumstances, they're they're hard and they're difficult. That's why we call them hardship. We call it difficulty. They refine us. 
And he continues and he says in this, in Luke, he says, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knows what Peter and the disciples are gonna do when, when they're faced with the death of Jesus, that they're all gonna scatter. He knows that Peter's gonna disown him, not once, but three times that very night. He knows all this, but he's prayed that their faith will not fail so that even as they scatter, as they flee, as Peter disowns him, that there's gonna be returning. See, Jesus knows your story of faith. He knows your story of faith. He's not shocked by your journey. He's not fearful that he may lose you. He sees it all. And what's the story tell us? It says that Jesus is arrested. He's arrested, and it says in verse 50 of, of Mark 14, it says, Mark 14, it says, everyone deserted him and fled. Peter ends up disowning Jesus three times that very night. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus is killed, but then he rises on the third day. Peter returns. Jesus reinstates him. A few days later, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all the believers as Jesus has already ascended into heaven. They're filled with the Spirit. And Peter, this, this, this apprentice, turns into this bold leader of the church. And then church history tells us that he remained faithful until the end. Peter himself was crucified for his faith. And he could have, he could have denounced Jesus, he could have renounced him, he could have, he could have gave up, he could have disowned him again, but he didn't. And he didn't count himself, church history tells us, worthy of being crucified in the same way that Jesus was, so he was crucified upside down. See, faith is a journey of sacrifices, of trusting in the will and knowledge of God and of testing. So let me just sum it all up for us and then I wanna pray for you all today. In Jesus, you can find the truest realization of your potential because he is the author of your life. He's your designer. And so in him, you find the truest realization of the purposes you were made. God will take away the things that give us identity if the things that give us identity are not him. He is the only one who gives true meaning and security. Marriage is a journey built on partnership and togetherness. It's building together. It's partnership. And challenges and difficulties refine our faith. I love going through the scriptures like this because I just it lets the scriptures just speak. It lets the story and the spirit just speak to the things. And so I think there's people here today and maybe each one of these things, maybe there's one for you something that the Spirit of God is just speaking to you and says, this one's for you today. Maybe there's somebody today and you're trying to figure out your identity, you're trying to figure out your purpose and you've just been feeling like you don't have what it takes and you're not worthy enough. Well, the Lord is here to tell you this morning through the Spirit of God that in Him you can find the meaning and security and the purpose that you're looking for. Maybe there's somebody here today and you've been struggling in your marriage or there's been hostility in your marriage or, or something and, and you're just not clicking with your spouse and you've been fighting or disagreeing and you've, you've failed to recognize what, what marriage is all about. It's about partnership. It's about mutual submission. It's about respect and love. It's about letting go and it's about compromise and coming together. It's building together. Maybe you're here today and you've been going through some really difficult stuff challenges and your faith you feel like is being tested hold on because faith is what we have it's the substance of what we have when there's nothing left that we can hold on to and it finds us those challenges and difficulties 
But I wanna pray for you today. If you're in the room, would you bow your heads with me? If you're online, would you bow your head? Holy Spirit of God, thank you for the scripture. Thank you that we have these and we can freely look at them today. And I pray in the name of Jesus that as we've journeyed through this passage that you would be speaking and you have been speaking to each and every single one of us. Lord, you know every person, God, within the sound of my voice, God, you know what's going on in their lives. You know what they need today. So I pray that you'd speak, Lord, for those, God, who have been wrestling with purpose and feeling like they don't measure up, I pray that you would speak to the things that you've designed and called them to be. I pray that they would find you and your voice, God, speaking to their mind and to their heart this morning, that you have created them with intention and purpose, God, in a unique way, that you've, you've shaped them with talents and the gifts and abilities that aren't like others for a reason. Maybe there's, there's someone that's placed their identity in something else, Father God, and they're wrestling with that or they're struggling with that, Father God, or maybe they're just failing to realize that in you we find the security and meaning and identity, God, that we need. That when life hits and circumstances come, Father God, our world doesn't collapse when we find ourselves putting our identity in you. Maybe there's people here today and they're struggling in marriage. Lord, I pray that they would recognize that as they put you first, that their marriage would flourish even God, if they're in a marriage with an unbelieving spouse. Lord, maybe there's people here today, there's many of us, God, that are going through difficulty and challenges. Lord, I pray that you'd be with them, you'd encourage them, and I pray that through it, their faith would grow and increase in the name of Jesus, that they would turn to you and they'd press into you in the time of struggle, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you, God. We bless you. We thank you, God. For those families that are gonna be receiving baskets today, Easter egg baskets, I pray in the name of Jesus, you just bless, you touch, Lord, that seeds of truth will be planted in them, Lord. We've, we pray, God, that through that, God, relationships and connections will be established, Lord. We trust, Holy Spirit, that you're gonna work. So just bless, God, those that are serving, God, and, and those that will be receiving in the name of Jesus. And as we enter into Holy Week, Palm Sunday, God, I pray that we would just open ourselves up to the things that you wanna say, that we'd spend a little bit extra time, God, with you this week as we celebrate, we remember and we celebrate your death and resurrection for our sins. God, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.